what Keep Kids Alive is all about. It's all about preserving relationships. We're not teaching driver's ed. That's not really what we're about. We're more trying to give them the experience that they need. And we do that through putting them in these scenarios that they might not realize are dangerous. I really think that what most people are doing when they're driving is they're just thinking of other things. Their mindset isn't really on the task of driving the vehicle. We don't believe that the perfect driver exists. Everybody can learn something. I think if more street drivers took the concept of being more self-analytical about their driving, we would have a massive reduction in car crashes every year. Hello, everyone. I'm Tom Everson. I'm the executive director and founder of Keep Kids Alive Drive 25. And I want to welcome you to our Keep Kids Alive podcast. I want to introduce Mike Speck. He's with Driving Skills for Life with the Ford Motor Company. You know, Mike, in his past, uh, he's been a professional race car driver. You've you've endured as a racer (laughs) and you've transferred your skills in, uh, you know, being uh, the lead driving instructor. But I really want to welcome Mike uh, to our podcast uh, for July. It's really nice to have somebody who uh, has the background that you have and uh, looking forward to hearing your story. You know, how did you connect with Keep Kids Alive Drive 25? Tom, first off, thanks so much uh, for having me on this. I really appreciate it. Uh, I really enjoyed the interview that we did on the Daily Drive a few weeks back. And I know that your efforts in keeping drivers safe have absolutely made a difference. And so ultimately the way we all connected is that with the Ford Driving Skills for Life program, there are many, many synergies with with your organization. So it kind of makes sense that we would run into each other at some point. And I know on our hands-on programs, we've seen you uh, out there before, you've spoken before, you speak very well. It's obvious that the teens and the parents enjoy listening to you. So I, I remember first running into you a few years back on one of our programs, and then we had our daily drive segment. So that's kind of how I recall the connection, at least from from my point. I'm sure you'll remember that when I'm on the programs, I'm, I'm pretty focused and just try to get things done there. But I do recall seeing you several times. Yeah. And I, I look forward to just being able to have a conversation with you today. And for those of you who are not uh, familiar with Driving Skills for Life, put it in your search engine, look it up. You're going to get lots of information that's going to be beneficial, not only for teen drivers, but for parents as well. In fact, I really don't think it matters who you are and what age you are and what circumstances in life have come your way. You're going to learn something from going to Driving Skills for Life. And you uh, might also look up the daily drive. You're going to learn something. uh, A lot of times, 15 or 20 minutes, you might think that's a long time to take out of my day. I said, but uh, you will take something away that'll benefit you and others uh, on and along roadways from the daily drive. Our podcasts, uh, we really like to focus in on stories. And so I'd really like to hear your story about how you got started in the automotive industry and doing some racing and then maybe how that transitioned to what you're doing now. 
So I've always loved things that go fast. I mean, it's just as simple as that. I've been a huge fan of the space industry, airplanes. In fact, when I was younger, that was really my goal was to be a fighter pilot. I always thought that would just be a lot of fun. But it ended up transitioning to getting into motorsport. In fact, I I grew up uh, in different parts of the country, but the first Formula One race that I watched was actually at the Las Vegas Grand Prix. This was back uh, in the 80s. And I remember very distinctly this epiphany. I was like, I'm I'm going to race cars. That's that's what I'm going to do. I think it was much to my dad's chagrin. He just, you know, it was a fun thing to do on a Sunday. He thought it would be kind of cool to go out and watch the cars, but it it captured me. And so uh, I said about doing it. I started in the sport really late. When you look at most very successful drivers, race drivers, they start off when when they're kids. In fact, these days, a typical driver that makes it to Formula One, they make it to Formula One in their late teens, early 20s. If they're not in it by then, they're never going to be in it. And I really didn't start motor racing until I graduated college and I could afford to do it. And so uh, I started uh, the same way, although not at the same time, but the same way that a lot of drivers did. I started in karting and then I, I switched to sedans. But but really, Tom, what happened was I was paying my own way. And part of paying my own way is that the schools I went to, I offered to instruct at. And I found really quickly that I was actually better as an instructor than I was a, as a driver. I, I was a handy driver. There's no doubt about it. But I think I was really much better imparting the information. And I quickly got picked up by a couple of schools. One of them was the Jim Hall Karting School in California in Ventura. And I, it was some of the most fun I've had in my life. I, I really enjoyed that time there, both racing and teaching. Then I got picked up by the Bondurant School in Phoenix and actually moved out there to pursue this career a little bit more seriously. And, and through the people that I met at Bondurant, through students that I met there that wanted to go racing, next thing I know, um, at the Daytona Motor Speedway for the 24 hours of Daytona, I'm racing in the support class for it. But I ended up doing that several times and then doing uh, a lot of racing in, in the Grand Am series, the Street Stock series. At that time, it was called a Coney Challenge, Motorola Cup. I, it was all kinds of different names. And uh, yeah, I, I loved it. One of the kind of ironies in all of this is that the person that hired me for my position at the Bondurant School in Phoenix ended up hiring me for the Ford Driving Skills for Life program. And the reason I say there's some irony there is that they were specifically looking for race car drivers to be instructors for, for teenagers. And, you know, and most parents hear that the Ford Driving <laughs> Skills for Life program, you know, they, it's all race car drivers. You know, they're a little bit nervous when they, when they hear that because I don't know that they really understand the mindset of a race driver. And I don't know that there's any universal mindset to a race driver, but, but one thing's for sure, the idea of focusing and concentrating and actually mitigating risk 
is part of of what we do in both venues. It's just that the risk in motorsport is inherently higher and you're getting paid to take risks. Whereas on the street, it's just the opposite. There, there is no reward for taking risk. And so if you can focus and concentrate on the street, then you'll, then you'll be safer. But that's my, that's my story in a nutshell. I, I start with uh, Ford Driving Skills for Life in 2003 and I've been the lead facilitator for them ever since. Well, thanks, Mike. Uh, you know, one of the thoughts I had when you uh, said you came late to the sport, you know, of course, this dates me and, you know, maybe I, I uh, read too much trivia. It reminded me that Ernie Banks didn't start playing baseball till he was 19 years old, you know, and, and he made it into the major leagues. And uh, that, that seems incomprehensible today that somebody would do that. But if you were the uh, Ernie Banks type back then, uh, you, I guess you soon find out you found out you were ready for a managerial role <laughs> to teach people how to how to do that thing that you loved. So that's great to hear your uh, your story. You know, when you think of some of the highlights that you've had, uh, and it could have been when you were racing, or it could have been since that time. Who are some of the people that have stood out for you that maybe you learned something from, or uh, just admired for any particular reason? Yeah, there were there were actually several several people that really kind of helped me out a little bit. Uh, one of the instructors that I worked with at the Bondurant School was always very very supportive and was really a legend in the sport. His his name's Bill Cooper, and he comes across at times as as a bit of a a gruff kind of guy, but he's just very serious about the sport and he taught me the mindset you know the technical part of the sport was something that you get with practice but the mindset how you look at it how you need to be introspective and constantly on the search to get better is something that that he really really drilled uh drilled into me and that honestly is what made me a better driver. I never raced at Bill's level. Bill is uh, just one of those very, very special drivers. But there were other instructors there that that affected me as well. Another one is the just the incredibly successful Johnny O'Connell, who also really helped me with the mindset and the focus. Johnny O'Connell, if you don't know who he is, is I think it, at this stage right now is the winningest. American at the 24 hours of Lama. He's just a remarkable driver. And I was very happy and I felt privileged to, to know him and, and to learn from him. And then on the racetrack, you run into all kinds, you run into all kinds of folks. I guess one of the coolest experiences I ever had on a racetrack wasn't even in a race. It was, it was on a lapping day. Lapping days are where cars can just go out and use the racetrack to, to kind of tune up driver skill and vehicle capability. This was actually a program that we were doing for a NASCAR team owner. And he had hired a bunch of drivers to take his sponsors for rides in a variety of different cars. We were at Road Atlanta. And uh, I was driving around in a, a Ford Mustang. And Johnny O'Connell, as it turns out, was out there in a full-on what we call LMP car, a Lama prototype car. At that time, it was a, a Panos. This is an 800 horsepower 
few hundred mile an hour race car and we're on the track at the same time. So I remember him coming up behind me on the back straight at Atlanta. I remember checking my mirrors, which you do, you know, when you're in a slower car, you gotta, you gotta check your mirrors and make sure no one's coming up on you too fast. And by the time he caught me, we were at the end of the straight and our speed differential was, I was going, Oh, I think by the braking zone, I was probably going close to 140 miles an hour. And he was going 195, almost 200 as they came up on the braking zone. And I just remember him going by me in that braking zone with flames coming out of the side of the car and the brakes glowing. And it was, it was really a cool, a cool experience. Uh, and I, I've had, I've had tons of them and I'm, I'm thankful for it. I remember many times sitting in the seat of the car, just just going, I can't believe I'm getting paid to do this. Well, I love that you uh, that you mentioned the word practice, you know, because, uh, you know, so oftentimes, uh, you know, people, you know, the way I look at things is if you're going to be a good football player or a basketball player, or if you're going to learn to play uh, an instrument and be part of an orchestra, I mean, you recognize the value of practice, 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 that you've got to you've got to practice those skills over and over again in order for them to become automatic when you need them. You know, oftentimes I wonder how people think about that in terms of driving, you know, that how important it is to practice specific skills in order to become so good that they do become second nature because you're just used to doing them. Yeah, I, I would say from a, a race car driver perspective, we do a tremendous amount of practice. One of the biggest reasons that an, you know, an up and coming driver, somebody that doesn't have a lot of budget behind them, but still wants to pursue the sport. One of the biggest reasons that they go to a racing school is because they can get so much what we call seat time. And so when I was at the Jim Hall racing school, when I was at Bondurant, I drove every opportunity that I had and I, I was very critical of my own driving. Again, you know, guys like Bill Cooper and Johnny O'Connell, that they really helped me to, to be introspective that way and to make sure that I was constantly trying to improve. Now, sometimes for street drivers, that's difficult. But I think if more street drivers took the sense, took the concept of being more self-analytical about their driving... I think that they would find very quickly that we would have a massive reduction in car crashes every year. It's easy as a race driver to want to continue to improve because you're in competition. And so the ones that improve are the ones that are going to win. In street driving, we don't have that impetus. You know, we're not pushed to do that. But there's no doubt, Tom, you're, you, you've hit the nail on the head. You've got to make sure you're practice. And it's not just the, the physical aspect of driving you have to practice. You have to practice the concentration and the focus. This isn't something that comes naturally to everybody. And it, it's a perishable skill. The ability to focus and stay in contact mentally with what you're doing uh, is not easy. Uh, especially in street driving, where our mind tends to wander at times. Well, you can you can tell I, I like to use sports examples because, uh, you know, I've talked to teenagers before and asked them, you know, have you ever been to a football game? 
And I was like, well, yeah, I've been to a football game. I said, well, what would happen if the uh, quarterback was talking on a hands-free device while running a play? I said, what would be the reaction of his teammates? What would be the reaction of the coaches? What would be the reaction of people in the stands? You know, what about the PA announcers? You can't do that. You can't do that. It's like, well, why not? (laughs) Because I said, the worst that might happen is you, you get sacked, you fumble, you throw an interception, the play blows up in some way, shape or form. But it's highly likely that everybody will survive. I said, but you're willing to put yourself uh, as the quarterback of the car and put yourself in a position where you're not concentrating and focused on the task at hand. And also I think sometimes taking them outside the car gives them a chance to maybe get back in the car and think about, you know, who's in charge here and how are we approaching this? I I think that's, Absolutely. The way people should be looking at it is that if they're driving the vehicle, yeah, they are the quarterback and they have they have a responsibility. Again, drawn the correlation as a race driver, you have a responsibility to the people that put all of the hours and the time into building that car. And you have a responsibility to your employer, who's the team owner. I don't know that a lot of people realize that race drivers have this mindset uh, that there is an absolute sense of, of responsibility. And as a street driver, when you're driving that car, you, whether you believe it or not, you have a responsibility and it's, it's not just to you. It's to those that are riding with you and to those people that are vulnerable around you, like pedestrians, cyclists, all of those areas are things that you are responsible for and you can take on that responsibility by being the best driver you can be. And a lot of that has to do with the mental uh, part of it with, with focusing and the best way to get good at that is to practice. You know, I often think that people might look at somebody like Michael Jordan and say, well, you know, I'd like to be like he was and everything. It's like, well, how did he become that way? I mean, he had to practice his skills over and over again. So uh, he became so adept at them that he could deviate and do something different, you know, because he had a skill base to operate from. I often think that that uh, is uh, is critical when it comes to driving, that if we're not good at the basics, it's kind of hard to adjust when something unexpected comes along. Absolutely. You know, the other thing that I think really benefits drivers, especially newly licensed drivers, because, you know, we'll talk to drivers that have had their license a couple of years and they've gotten some practice in, as as you've said, Tom, and, and that's great, but they don't have a lot of experience yet. And, and part of getting good at a given sport or at driving a car on the street is going through certain experiences or at least learning mm-hmm. about those experiences. And so I, I think a driver that's had their license for a couple of years, they haven't actually really experienced that much. And so the practice will help for sure, but also taking in the knowledge of people that have had these experiences prior and are trying to help you with it. I think if drivers were more open to taking that in, uh, that would be important. If I go to a new track that I've never been to before, I talk to a driver that has been there before and has experience and somebody that I trust. And when I say experience, when you go to a racetrack, it's not just a matter of knowing where it goes left and right 
and where you speed up and slow down. It's knowing the nuances, the areas, the little speed secrets, and the areas where it's dangerous. You want to know this before you go out. A teen driver should be thinking the same way about street driving. They should want to know about where the little danger areas are so that they can afford them, whether those dangers are physically present on the road or whether it's something in themselves that they don't understand yet that they need to uh, take on. And it reminds me, uh, when I was 19, I, I made my first, uh, I guess, real road trip uh, driving from Colorado Springs to St. Louis. And uh, I thought I could do it in one day. <laughs> But I found when I was shortly outside of Kansas City that it's like, wow, this is just way different than I thought it would be. So I had to stop and stay overnight, which was fine. But, you know, just thinking of the physical effects of being in a car that long and it kind of speaks to I feel like what you're talking about is the experiences that we don't have. And then when we we end up having that experience, uh, you know, how does that inform us in a different way about what it means to drive. And in this case, we're just talking about being in the car for a long time, driving a long distance, that that's part of the learning process as well. You said you've been with uh, Driving Skills for Life since 2003? I have, yeah. What was that transition like for you or how did that transition come about? Like I mentioned earlier, the guy that hired me, who was the chief instructor at Bondurant, the racing school in Phoenix, shortly after he hired me, he moved on to another company and he contacted me just before 2003 and said, hey, are you interested in getting involved in some teen driver education? And Tom, to be to be totally honest with you. The reason that I took the position at the time, and it was part-time, was to make more more money. I really didn't know anything initially about how much there is to learn about helping teens to become safer. So I, I really wasn't that vested in it when I took the position. But before I taught anybody, I got some training through the Ford Driving Skills for Life program, which is all... Uh, research-based. So before I was able to talk to anybody, the Ford folks, and it's it's actually, we say Ford Motor Company, but it's actually through the Ford Motor Company Fund, which is Ford's philanthropic arm. And so uh, the people that run that, Jim Graham in, in particular, uh, pulled me aside and said, look, these are the things that you need to know before you start talking with with teenagers. So that transition was was actually more difficult than I thought it would be. I figured it was just going to be just like teaching potential race car drivers. And while there's some similarities, there are also some real differences there. And so, uh, for example, when I'm teaching somebody that wants to drive race cars, it's usually teaching somebody that, that thinks they want to drive race cars. They come through a school like Bondurant. These are typically self-made folks. They've got expendable income. They've been successful in their branch of life. They don't really understand motorsport, but they're adults. And so imparting the knowledge to them is different than it would be imparting the knowledge to a teenager. And so what I found myself having to do was to teach as though I was teaching myself uh, when I was 17. 
And I was a difficult student at 17. I was just all over the board and pretty hyper. And so I found that it was going to take a little bit of time. And I kind of needed to teach in a way that would capture them. Yeah, I like the way you said uh, to capture them. I mean, to me, to really uh, engage them in the learning process. That, uh, you know, to me, that's a positive way to put it. And when it comes to driving, uh, regardless of how old and what the experience of uh, any particular driver has, we're all on these roads together and we need to do that together. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Do I have more experience than the teens I'm teaching? Yeah, I, I do. But the fact of the matter is that when I was 17, I was the same driver. So, I mean, by the time the, uh, the teens that I'm teaching are my age, hopefully they will learn enough so that they'll be safe throughout their, throughout their driving career. And so, again, I just tried to teach them the way I thought I needed to be taught uh, when I was, when I was 17. So that, that took a little bit of a transition. Luckily, the Ford Driving Skills for Life program gave me the tools that I needed. And the modules that we teach with are, they're just very, very effective. We're not teaching driver's ed. That's it, not really what we're about. We're more trying to give them the experience that they need. And we do that through putting them in these scenarios that they might not realize are dangerous. People ask, they ask me as an instructor, do you, do I think that every driver that I drive around is an idiot? And, and I, I don't, I, I really don't. I mean, are there, are there some folks out there that know that what they're doing is wrong and do it anyway and don't care about the repercussions? There are some people that are that way. Uh, you can call them whatever you want. If people want to call them idiots, that, that's fine. But I actually think those folks are far and few between. I really think that what most people are doing when they're driving is they're just thinking of other things, you know, so their, their mindset isn't really on the task of driving the, the vehicle. So when we teach teens, it's, it's really about making sure that they understand that their actions have consequences and that it's better to not get into a scenario than to get into it and then have to fix it. We teach uh, what we call hazard recognition, which is an emergency lane change. And we teach vehicle handling, which is the ability to catch an oversteer slide. And while the ability to catch an oversteer slide and the ability to make an emergency lane change safely, these are both skills that I think most people would agree that they're good to have. The real skill lies in the ability to not put yourself in a scenario where you need to control oversteer or you need to do an emergency lane change. And, and that's really what we try to impart to these teenagers. And I think we're pretty successful. It kind of reminds me of um, a program I used to work with and it, uh, it wasn't a, a driving program. It had to do with drug prevention, but it was called flashing your brights. Uh, I had to use that uh, that image, but the idea behind flashing your brights, and this applies to to me any risk situation, is that if you're with somebody who you realize they may be in a uh, a situation that puts themselves or other people in peril, and you have information that could help, is to flash your brights, is to share that information. So you know, just as an example, uh, 
when our oldest son uh, was uh, practice driving and we were out on the interstate and our second son was sitting in the back seat, there was somebody who was weaving in and out of traffic. And so uh, that gave me the opportunity to flash my brights. I just let Matthew know that I said, you know, at any one time a day, between one and 3% of drivers are driving under the influence. You don't know who they are. You have uh, no ability to control their behavior, but you do have the ability to control your own behavior. And how you can do that is to create space, to, to recognize that I need to create space so that I can maneuver regardless of what anybody else around me is doing that. Got a two for one that day, I thought, because my son in the back seat said, Dad, how do you know this stuff? <laughs> and I'm like, and, and to me, it's not about answering, how do I know this stuff? It's about the fact that he actually listened. <laughs> so, so he heard it as well. But it's that whole idea of when it comes to driving in this specific uh, scenario is uh, recognizing, OK, what is something that maybe I know that I can just inject into what's happened that will give them something to think about and hopefully apply, not just now, but in the future. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I'm teaching my 15 year old how to drive now, and I am finding that you got to be selective on when you flash those brights, because for them, there's at least for him, there's so much happening right now that, you know, I, I try to limit it, but for sure on those opportunities, where it makes the most sense, uh, I think flashing the brights is a great idea. Yeah. Oh, I always think with a car weaving in and out when you hear your kid go, <laughs> it's like, okay, that made him nervous. Let's, <laughs> let's see if we can use this as a teachable moment. You know, when you think about your work with uh, Driving Skills for Life, you know, what are some of the highlights that uh, you've had over your many years of working with teens and their parents? One of my favorite parts of the Ford Driving Skills for Life program is the crew that I work with, their family. I'm really missing all the instructors that we work with. And for me, they're not going to believe this, but they are <laughs> a total highlight for me. I, I really enjoy being around those folks. I had a team come up to me the other day and in my talk, I let people know, I, I do this opening talk for everybody, and I, I let people know that, hey, we don't expect everybody to take what we're saying to heart. We, we know that in any given demographic, in any group of people, you know, some people are going to listen. They're going to take it to heart. Some people are going to listen and say, yeah, whatever. Some people are going to listen and do exactly the opposite of what you tell them. And some people aren't going to listen at all. And, uh, you know, how those percentages work out, you know, it just varies from group to group. But I had a team come up to me after the program and came up to me. I didn't ask her a question or anything. She just came right up to me. She goes, I just want to let you know that what you told me I'm going to take to heart. This is this is going to help me to become a safer driver. And that was a highlight. You know, we're on the road with this program typically in non-COVID days. We're on the road almost 200 days a year, you know, 100, 160, 170 days a year teaching teens how to be safer. And to have a, a teenager come up and say that, that that's a huge highlight for for sure. That kind of reminds me of an opposite experience for me when I the day I got my driver's license, uh, 
my driving uh, teacher, Mr. Kelly, uh, I got a 98 on the driving portion, which, you know, you feel pretty good about that. But uh, I remember getting done and Mr. Kelly came out and he said, if you think you're a 98% driver, you are wrong. <laughs> you are absolutely wrong. And that's what I want you to remember. <laughs> and, you know, I, I really didn't have, you know, I didn't react to him like, oh, you're wrong. Because somewhere inside of me, I knew he was right, <laughs> you know, that yeah, I had had a good day with my driver's test. But that certainly didn't mean that I, I was, you know, ready for the game, so to speak. <laughs> You know, that there was still a lot of, uh, of uh, honing of skills to do. And obviously, I've remembered that all these years later. So, you know, Mr. Kelly made an impression on me, but it wasn't a negative one. It was one that is like, you need to wake up, kid. <laughs> no, no, it was great to hear that uh, that young lady came up and, and let you know that she she heard you. <laughs> yeah, it was it was actually wonderful. And you know, we don't want. The the goal of the Ford Driving Skills for Life program is is to make them safer. It's not to scare folks. It's not it's not what it's about. But I do think that Mr. Kelly telling you that that was some that was some great information. And we try to impart something similar to the teens that we work with. Yes, you went through this program. Yes, it's award winning. Yes, you learned a lot. Does this make you a perfect driver? Absolutely not. Right. There's still a lot to learn. And we also follow that up with we don't believe that the perfect driver exists. Everybody can learn something and learning how to drive is an evolutionary process. You know, your abilities get better and then start to ebb over time. I mean, I know that physically I'm not the driver that I was when I was at the height of my career in my 30s. I'm I'm nowhere near physically that same driver. And so that's part of the evolutionary process of learning how to drive. It just, it constantly goes on. This may not make the podcast, but I had to mention it with Mr. Kelly that uh, he picked me up from my high school for my first uh, lesson and had me drive on Interstate 25 in Colorado Springs. I mean, it scared me to death. It's like, what? You want me to do what? You know, he had me drive all the way to the county line and back. And uh, and it did definitely make an impression. Obviously, I survived and all. But uh, I don't know. I Somehow, I, I think there was some kind of underlying lesson that he wanted to teach me, that he had the confidence that I could do it. But at the same time, you know, recognizing that, wow, this driving could be pretty perilous and all because uh, I, I can't imagine that uh, there have been many days since that day back when I was 16 that, that I was more focused <laughs> as a driver. Uh, you know, Tom, you just hit it on the head right there is that, and I was actually going to ask you, what was your mindset like? Well, you were, you were utterly focused and maybe Mr. Kelly was trying to, to impart something there. Maybe he knew in time you would realize that that little bit of concern, maybe not outright fear, but a little bit of concern, it just absolutely made you laser focused. And that's that's really what made you safer in that stretch. And after we've been driving for a while, we lose that focus because we lose that concern because we have so much confidence. And, and I, I think that was a powerful lesson he taught you. Obviously, that's one that stayed with me as well. When you think about 
and you've mentioned quite a few of these already, but if you, if you were, I don't know, have a top three crucial lessons that you'd want to impart to teens and their parents, what would those be? And if you want to expand it to four or five, uh, feel free. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, you have a sense for the teens, you have a sense of responsibility. Uh, Again, you know, we mentioned before, whether you believe it or not, you do have a responsibility when you're behind the wheel. Your actions will affect others. There's just no doubt about it. And the sooner as a teenager that you're able to kind of wrap your head around that concept, the better. So I had a teen once come up and say, well, gosh, you know, if I'm involved in a car crash and I get hurt, you know, it's just going to affect me. But no, that's not how it works. It affects your entire circle, everybody that's around you. And it may also affect the person that you have the accident with. There are people in the car with you or you crash into somebody else. So that sense of responsibility is important. The other big key is that driving takes a sense of focus and concentration. There's just no, no two ways about it. And if you are not focused, if you are distracted when you're driving, you're putting yourself in a bad situation and you could be putting others in a bad situation. And, you know, I, I kind of feel bad for teenagers with the whole distracted driving thing because you know, we tell them not to text and drive, right? Which is great. But then adults, sometimes it's their parents are out there texting and driving. And so the it's kind of a mixed message that way. It doesn't matter if you're a teen or an adult, texting and driving is a problem. It really better put driving distracted, whatever that distraction may be, is is an issue. And so I really try to impart to teens and parents that it's not a good thing to do and, and trying to stay focused is critical. And finally, the third thing is you you want to make sure that you're able to gain some level of experience as a driver before you kind of rubber stamp yourself as a fully accomplished driver. And that experience might be something that you go through, but you should also be open to learning from others' experiences and knowing really what might not make sense to do or what you should do that you might not have thought about before. So those are those are my big three for the teens. For the parents, I can just, just one big one. If you're teaching your teen how to drive, you got to lead by good example. I mean, that is incredibly powerful. There are other things you can do as well, but that is the single most critical thing that you can do. As soon as that baby seat gets turned around, they're watching everything that you do behind the wheel. And so leading by good example is critical. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, one of the things that it, uh, you know, made me think as you were talking, uh, thinking back of being a teenager in a classroom, just an ordinary classroom and the kind of distractions that uh, come up, you might really be interested in the class. Maybe you're not so interested in the class. So what do you start paying attention to? Usually, you know, we're going to be pretty safe in that environment. You're, <laughs> you're in a desk that's not moving or, <laughs> or things like that. But, but when we transfer that to the vehicle itself is recognizing uh, how important it is to be able to name those uh, distractions. And I think it's coming back to the, the whole idea of really being cognizant and introspective is, 
as you mentioned, about what are we thinking, what are we doing, what's happening around us. But uh, when I was thinking about Mr. Kelly and taking me out on the interstate, is that uh, in my mind, it was about self-preservation. You know, if I'm not into self-preservation, I'm probably not going to be into anybody else's preservation either. <laughs> you know, that it, it to me, the motivation always has to start with ourselves. Is like, you know, I got to care enough about myself to keep myself here. Because a lot of times people say, well, maybe if you drive safely, that somehow you've saved a life. And I always like to think of it that you've preserved a life. You know, first your own, but then those are the people around you. Because I said, if you're in a life-saving situation, that usually means something bad has happened, <laughs> you know, where you've got to have somebody intervening and trying to sustain life where maybe it's not going to be there if they're not there. So I figured let's focus on those life-preserving behaviors. Yeah, it's a great way to look at it for sure. When you think about uh, where our conversation has meandered here, there, and everywhere so far, you know, are there anything that you're thinking of that you say, well, I wouldn't want to leave this conversation without having said this? You know, I, I think we covered pretty much everything that we need to, but I, I was just thinking about the parental involvement and how critical that is. And, you know, I don't know that parents realize how important their engagement in teaching their teens is. And once your teen gets their license, it doesn't mean that they're done learning. But you kind of still need to be engaged with the process. When I was in grade school, when you when you brought up just a second ago what it was like when, when you were in grade school, uh, when I was in grade school, I had a teacher, Mr. Weimer, and he had a hugely positive influence on me. I didn't particularly like the subject matter that he covered. I didn't like it when I first started the class, but he was so engaging and he was so vested in what I felt to be my, my personal ability to learn. I was 14 years old, you know, he was so invested in it that I found what he was teaching. I learned to really find it interesting. If you're a parent teaching your teen, you want to be Mr. Weimer, okay? You don't want it so that when you get into the car and your teen is driving, you don't want your teen to be scared to death to drive with you. It's not going to work. So pick a time to drive when you feel safe and, uh, you know, there's less traffic out, whatever it is, a time where you'll feel more comfortable teaching your teen and stay engaged with it and make sure that your teen knows uh, that you're staying engaged with it. I, I think that's important. But other than that, I think we covered pretty much everything about driving. <laughs> well, I, if we've always got something to learn, we know, we both know that's not true, but, uh, <laughs> no. but, you know, uh, kind of a final thought on, on, uh, you know, for me is, I always try to tell people, I said, you know, if you take driver's ed, I said, it's sort of like preseason training. You're practicing and everything, but you're really not in the game yet. And I said, do one of the things about sports is that usually when you play the game, then the coach or coaches will do an evaluation afterwards and say, we need to work on this. We need to work on that. You know, and perhaps, uh, you know, that's a way that, you know, parental involvement can come in and hopefully in a positive way, you know, of recognizing that, no, you're not a perfect driver you know, here's maybe one thing that you can work on in the next week, you know, whatever that might be. So there's some ongoing coaching going on 
that, uh, you know, helps along the way. So the next time you're in the game, you know, perhaps you'll, you'll perform a little bit better or you'll recognize situations a little bit better. Because to me, that's one of the things that's missing a lot of times when it comes to driver's education is that it's like, well, we went to driver's ed and somehow we, we learned to be the perfect driver and we're 16. It's like, well, maybe we should just put the car in the garage because after all, we're perfect already. So there's, there's nothing to improve on. I think making sure that you realize that you always have something more to learn is, yeah, it's, it's very important. It doesn't end with getting that license, although getting that license is awesome. It's a wonderful feeling and you should feel proud, but you still got a long road uh, ahead of you. Well, thanks, Mike. I really appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation and appreciate the work that you do and, uh, you know, the mission that you're on to help people to become better drivers, uh, not only for their own sake, for for the benefit of everybody who rides with them and uh, is in vehicles or walking down the street or riding a bike. It all fits together. So thank you. Thank you, Tom. And uh, the feeling's very, very mutual. I think uh, the work that you're doing is excellent. And I think you're absolutely having a positive effect. You're helping to make drivers safer. Thanks so much for taking some time to talk to me. I appreciate it. And thanks to Ford's Driving Skills for Life because they have uh, been a supporter of our work with Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 dating back to 2007. They certainly have been an integral part of the growth of our mission as well. And so really appreciate partnerships like that. Anytime. We, We appreciate it as well. Thanks, Tom. Hi, I'm Mike Speck, and I'm the lead facilitator on the Ford Driving Skills for Life program. If you want to learn more about the Ford Driving Skills for Life program, all you have to do is go to our website at drivingskillsforlife.com. Thank you for listening. Please visit kkad25.org to find out how you can support Keep Kids Alive Drive 25. And get involved by following on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Remember, it's about kids. It's about safety. It's about caring. It's about time.